What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about Davidson's, which has two locations, one in Centennial and one in Highlands Ranch. Guys, they have everything you could want in terms of alcohol selection, from our favorite Breck brews to any wine you want to Mace's uh, secret cider that he's got. They have it at Davidson's. So make sure to check them out. Their sales floor is back up and running. They still have curbside delivery if you want that. And of course, they will still deliver it straight to your house. So make sure to download their app for incredible deals and sign up for their loyalty program. That's Davidson's where you can go in their sales floor now. You can get it curbside delivered or you can get delivered straight to their house. So make sure to check out Davidson's. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Welcome to the DNVR Broncos podcast on this wonderful Wednesday. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into the show, I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. Guys, MSU Denver puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. And the awesome thing about MSU Denver Online, guys, is every single one of you listening to this can take advantage of it, whether you're in our backyard of Denver right now, or whether you're overseas or just in a different state, you can take advantage of MSU Denver online and what they have to offer. So go to msudenver.edu slash online to see all they have to offer, including over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So anything that, that you want to either take a specific class on, start a degree, finish a degree, MSU Denver can hook you up. So check them out at msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, how are you doing on this hump day? Oh, not too bad. Although the calendar says Wednesday, it feels like a Tuesday. (laughs) Well, that's the best, right? And then tomorrow it's going to be, feel like a Thursday, hopefully because we're close to the weekend. I love three-day weekends. I love holidays, but they always throw me off a little bit. But they they throw you off in the best way possible, right? Isn't it great to feel like it's a Tuesday, but it's really a Wednesday? It is great, but then the problem is you get used to what this week is like, and then you come back next weekend, it's five full days. (laughs) Yep, you're right about that, man. I have always thought that a four-day work week is what we should all be doing. Are we going to work more on those four days? Yeah, totally fine okay. with me. Let, let, let's do, heck, I'll do four 12s and work extra in order to have a three-day weekend every single week. Wow, four 12s. So you're actually <laughs> going from 40 to 48, although I think for all of us in this business, the 40-hour work week kind of uh, sailed away a long time ago. But <laughs> Exactly. I would take 48 over four. Yes, yeah. I I mean, just to be able to have exactly what we had this whole time, because, Mm -hmm. you know, a weekend feels like you typically get like one day off and the other day you're doing chores and shopping and getting ready for the week. Man, if you could have two full days off in a weekend, that'd be something else. That would be pretty amazing. Pretty (laughs) amazing. It's it's certainly, certainly would be. And May, speaking of pretty amazing, 
the NHL came out with their return to play plan for the 20 for this season right now. They came out with it yesterday. While there's no specific dates of when they'll be back, they laid out a plan that they will be back this year. Yeah, and it's fascinating to kind of really dive into it. First of all, the obvious, the big thing is that they plan to have a 24-team tournament. They will take the top four seeds in each conference. They'll have them play for seeding, but then 5 through 12 in each conference, they're going to go into what will probably be a best-of-five series to see if they advance to the next round. But I think for the NFL and other sports that are monitoring this, it's some of the details that are probably going to prove most relevant as far as how they're going to ramp up. Because one of the things that's interesting here, Zach, is that the NHL, along with the NBA, along with Major League Baseball, and the NFL in its offseason work, has been shuttered for just about two and a half months by this point. And this return to play basically is going to be over a two-month process before they actually start playing games. Yeah. Like, for example, they have phase. Like, right, like phase one is where they are right now. There's a four-phase four phase process the NHL has. Phase one is where we are right now that, they're every, that players were self-quarantining. Phase two, non-contact skating for players in small groups at team facilities. They hope to start that in early June. Training camps starting no earlier than the first half of July. So that's assuming the best case scenario for phase two starting in early June. So you're looking at it roughly five or five, five and a half weeks. And then when you have training camp, Best case scenario for training camp and being ready to play is for the NHL, say, two weeks. So you're looking at not starting play until late July. So roughly, roughly two weeks from – or two months, pardon me, from where we are right now. Yeah. And that just it, – it's sort of a reminder of what the NFL and everybody is going to face in terms of ramping everybody back up and making sure it's done as, safe, as safely as possible. Yeah, Macy, you nailed it on the head because every step that you explained, you continue to say, hopefully, that's the plan. Uh And I listened to uh, the NHL commissioner again this morning talking about it, and that's exactly what he said. These are guidelines for what they want to do. They want to be able to do these things by the date you said, but he did make it very clear that uh, they, they did not say, this will be happening on July 2nd. We will have our right. first game August 1st. He made it very clear that it's a very, very fluid situation. And obviously, I think we both agree with that, that that's very smart. Um, and and it, it's good to have a return to play uh, kind of timeline out there and what they're thinking. But it's also very smart to be, uh, to be realistic about it, that the coronavirus is going to dictate this. So I like that the NHL has that plan out there. Obviously, with the NFL, we know that there's very hard dates out there. You know, There's pretty mm-hmm. much a, a couple-day window when training camp's going to start uh, around the end of July. Uh, we know exactly when the preseason games are. We know when the regular season is. Uh, that is interesting because uh, 
though the way the NHL is approaching it is they may be actually starting after uh, the NFL's training camp or, or after the NFL's preseason. So it's going to be interesting how the NHL has this open-ended timeline. Well, the NFL seems to be pretty set right now. Well, the, NH- the NHL, because they're going forth in a new season and because the plan is without fans, they can be flexible. The NFL right now because they don't have to worry about the regular season until September, they can still focus on an end date, on, on, a, on a date that they're targeting. Now, one of the things that was speculated about before the NFL schedule came out earlier this month is, oh, are they going to build in certain protocols if they have to push everything back a week if they, or two weeks or three weeks? And they did one thing regarding one week, which is to take everybody who is paired in week two and make sure that they had a bye week at the same time as their week two opponent. Right. So in theory, they've already built in a one week buffer because they can take Broncos Steelers and move it to the bye week for both teams. Right, And they can take every game in week two and move it to the bye. So if there is something that provides for a one-week delay, then that's already built in, and that's going to be fine and dandy. If, they want, if it's a two-week delay, then you, ha- then you have to start taking an entire week of games and moving them to another point, and then you're using up the week between the conference championships and the Super Bowl because you're pushing everything back. And then, of course – there have been reports that the NFL has talked with the city of Tampa and people down there about the availability of Raymond James Stadium and everything else they would need for the Super Bowl a couple of weeks after the scheduled date. So right. you can see right there, they've already worked in a four like a four week buffer. Yep. At minimum. Right to have a full season with all the regular season games, full playoffs and the Super Bowl. So even though so it's good I think it's good that the NFL is targeting a date these dates and again because they were in the off season when all the stuff went down regarding the novel coronavirus, they've had the luxury of time and now they have the luxury of seeing the NHL's plan. They have the luxury of watching the KBO watching the Bundesliga, watching rugby league in Australia, which is scheduled to start later on this week. They can sit back and see what these other sports organizations are planning. I do think though, that one thing that we're seeing in the NHL that may not be conducive to the NFL. And it's the same for the NBA. What they're thinking about is the NHL talking about gathering everybody at some specific venues and the NBA, of course, has kicked around everyone gathering at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Major League Soccer talking about Disney World in Orlando as well. I don't think that's something that the NFL has the same luxury of doing just because of all it takes to put on a football game and all the personnel required, even if you're just limited to essential personnel, as in players, which it's 90 players in training camp, of course coaches support staff 
Yeah, and, and that, that's a fantastic point, Mace, because in these two cities, where the east will be in one city, the west will be in another city, it's going to be at places where there's, you know, there's tons of ice rinks. Denver and Colorado, they are not one of these finalist cities for the NHL because they it's just too bad. Yeah, it really is too we bad. We have a lot of rinks. A, yeah. yeah. We have DU. We have, of course, you go, go up to Loveland. We have the Pepsi Center. You've got World Arena down in the Springs. Air Force Academy. Oh, that's um, true. Up the, the arena up in Broomfield. I was surprised that Denver didn't try to get in on this. I thought it would have been a good host. I mean, you just made a great point that they have a lot. I, I wonder if that still isn't as many as other cities. I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, D- Denver would is not a place that the NHL would be looking. Um, and one thing that the NHL is doing is they're limiting the personnel for each team to 50. Mm-hmm. that you can't do 50 in football you can't even have your whole team let alone your coaches and your training staff and everything that goes along with that so putting everyone in two cities I mean you're talking about probably at least double the personnel so that would be a lot also the NHL said that in order to do this they may need daily testing if not every uh-huh. other day at least they said that's going to be between 24,000 and 30,000 tests in total. And they said that by the time um, that this comes around in August, that, that there should be enough tests where they're not taking the 24,000 away from the public. But what's mm-hmm. it going to be for the NFL? I don't know. If it's around that number, according to the NHL commissioner, then they're going to have plenty of tests. If it's going to be, you know, 100, 200, a million tests, I don't know what that would be, then that's something that the NH or that the NFL would have to take into consideration. Um, and another interesting thing that the NHL commissioner said was if someone tests positive for the coronavirus, they've been told by their doctors that the league won't need to shut down. Obviously, that person will need to go in self-isolation for two weeks. Um, but he did say if it you know spreads quickly around the league, then we will listen to our doctors and we will have to shut down again. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. One of the leagues that started up, of course, was uh, the Bundesliga, and it's second-tier Bundesliga 2, and Dinamo Dresden had two positive coronavirus tests and then had two more. And so the team is in a 14-day quarantine at the restart of its season. Wow. So that... At a restart, you can get by and you can quarantine a team. But realistically, as you get into a season, when teams start facing other teams and they start mingling and, they, and interacting, that's where you start being concerned. And this is just part of the acceptable risk that is, being, that is, that is going to have to be taken by, by everybody involved if – they want to have these seasons happen that there's just you are you are accepting some level of risk that you're going to contract the novel coronavirus and right really for all of us as we evaluate what level of activities we're going back to you do you do think in terms of acceptable risk now there are some interesting studies like one thing that i read it was uh, cited in science magazine it was a study from japan that said the level of transmission was 19 times lower outside than inside. Yeah. So that's certainly for football, 
unless you're the Detroit Lions who play in a fully enclosed stadium. That would ideally help out football, not only for everything you're doing in practices, but what, but, but actually playing the games because even stadiums like Minnesota, Dallas, SoFi Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, they have the ability to throw open the windows, right? And they can make them open air, even if you've got some of them have like Minnesota has the fixed roof, but they can throw open the glass at the end of the stadium, at the ends of the stadium, and they can turn it into basically an open air shed. Now that I would say this, a big concern is the locker rooms. Yeah. And one, and in the NHL plan, this is actually posted on the NHL's website. They get into at the end of this, specifically talking about all the things that must be done in terms of cleaning and disinfecting. I believe there are six pages of cleaning and disin or, or five. Yeah. It's or six pages of cleaning and disin disinfecting guidelines for the locker room. And also just for in practice, like for, for example, these are the items on water bottles, no sharing of water bottles, Clubs required to supply player-specific water bottles for home and visiting teams. They should be labeled with each player's name. All Gatorade-rated drink bottles must be labeled for the individual players. (laughs) And no sharing of towels. Once a towel is used, each towel is washed. Each visiting team provided a minimum of 100 clean towels on the bench during each game. All locker rooms will have dispensers of, of, of hand cleaners in the training room, the equipment room, the entry of the bench, the coaches room, the strength and conditioning area, the laundry rooms, the dressing rooms. All player benches will have tissues, antiseptic hand wipes placed next to the equipment, the weight cart. All these things are they're doable, but they're going to, the NFL is going to have to make sure that they account for in their return – Again, it's so advantageous for the NFL that they can sit here and watch other leagues go about this and get a feel for their plans before going on. Then, once they've focused on the playing field, then you can start focusing on getting fans in and how that's going to look. There was some interesting news yesterday from Iowa State in particular that they sent out a letter to their ticket holders saying that they were going to play their home games at half capacity at Jack Trice Stadium in Ames, Iowa. And as a result, it would be season ticket holders only in the stadium. But what they also did was they gave their fans a way to opt out of season tickets if they did not feel comfortable coming to the stadium, but not lose their place and priority for future years to get a full refund and also said that if you feel comfortable now, but you don't feel comfortable in a couple of months and you don't want to go, even then you can get a full refund on your tickets or have the credit applied to next year. So it's good to see some team, some teams starting to kind of sprinkle out with their plant, with their plans a little bit. Again, football, both college and pro has the benefit of time that the NHL and the NBA don't have. Yeah, well, and Mason, just speaking on that really quick, um, it, the Broncos are going to be great with their fans. They, they right. made sure that everyone knows that they will be full refunds, credits, however you want it. Do you know how many season ticket holders 
um, there are for the Broncos at one time. I know the wait list is incredibly long, but I was having this conversation with someone just a couple of days ago. Do you know that off the top of your head? Because if it did come down to we have to have limited number of people in the stadium, I could see it being just season ticket holders if that number is small enough. Well, how many tickets do they have to hold back for individual sale? I don't know that. I was hoping you would be my guy for that. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. that, that was just a small I, I concentrate thing. on the football part, not the business part. Right? <laughs> I, I, I'll admit that. Me, um, me too. But but it's, a, it's a few thousand because they had to – remember, they've got some half-price tickets that they always have to have. It was right. part of the deal that was made when the stadium was built that certain, uh, a certain amount of tickets in every price range would be set aside as half-price for individual sale. Now, I believe – I want to say it's something like 20,000 separate season ticket accounts are in that neighborhood okay. that cover just under 70,000 of the seats. Okay. So then you start figuring out, okay, how are we going to ter- determine this? I think the first thing that you would do if you're a team is find out – do like what Iowa State did and said, okay, fans, if you don't feel comfortable, if you are in one of the if you're in one of the groups that is more susceptible to having significant damage from the novel coronavirus, if you are elderly, if you are immunocompromised, if you're dealing with underlying conditions, then you give people like that, and then others who just aren't comfortable, you give everybody the option of basically skipping this year right. and you don't have to have your season ticket for this year. If you're reducing the capacity to say half, or I think the dolphins float floated around 15,000 out of 65,000 at hard rock stadium, something like that. So you give people the option of saying, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to go this year. And so that would probably take you down a little bit in terms of the tickets that are, that are sold. And then you may have to do some kind of lottery. Maybe perhaps it's a scenario where you're saying, okay, we're going to have, you can go, if we've got enough interest in people that want to go, then it may be a half season ticket plan for this year for some people. But one thing that I think is key, like with Iowa state, they had enough season ticket holders to where they were able to say there will be no individual sales. And based on the capacities of NFL stadiums and the number of tickets being sold, even at half capacity, every team is going to be, if, if every season ticket holder said, yeah, we're in, you could, you could fill up every stadium in the NFL, NFL to half capacity with season ticket holders alone. So right. we'll see how this ends up affecting individual ticket sales because Pittsburgh went ahead and, and sold individual, half of their individual tickets for individual game tickets for the season, I don't know that a lot of other teams are going to follow suit, but we're going to find out over the next couple of months. But again, NFL's got time. Right. And, but they have time on the on-field stuff. Based on what we're seeing from, the, from MLS, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NFL could be, and college football could be the first ones in in terms of having some fans in the building. Right. Well, so they're and- going to be the pace setters. And, and you're right, Mace, they have time on their hands right now. And of course, right now, OTAs are supposed to be going on across the league. Instead, it's just all virtual. Uh, Jeremy Fowler put out a report yesterday saying 
that he's been told from multiple coaches in their t- that he that teams will not be bringing their staffs back until training camp for many teams around the league. But other teams are holding out hope that they can still do some in-person work uh, in June. And then I also saw a very interesting um, idea about this is if you were to bring players back before the off-season program was supposed to be done, which would be by June 26th, if you were to have in-person things, well, in-person things, people go to their homes, people are staying in hotels when they're here, people are scattered all around. During training camp, you get the team in a hotel, and then it's a lot easier to isolate. And then the question to, that to me is, if that's successful, do you continue that throughout the preseason? Do you continue that throughout the regular season? Yeah, that's the one where I think they're going to have to ease up and say, no, you can go home. You can go home to your families. Now, is it possible you could have a scenario at a hotel where the families are there? That, that could be done, but I don't see that happening. I think you can have the usual going away for camp and do it at a hotel and keep things controlled. But the, the players union is going to want to make sure that players can go home. Now, how is this, how would that be different than what the NHL is doing? Because the NHL by, by moving everything to two cities and, and I know that's a lot shorter of a time period. Yeah. And and that's by them doing that. Why couldn't the NFL just say that as well? And maybe the NFL says, Hey, if you don't want to do this, then you don't have to play. But I'm sure there's going to be enough players that want to play. That that would be what they would say, maybe. Well, I, I think uh, I, I think with the NHL going in going into the postseason, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, well, we're gonna have this compressed time where you're gonna go away because right now it looks like the NHL for coming back to camps and everybody practicing, everybody's gonna be at home. That they're not right. gonna be in hotels. They're going to be in hotels for the gameplay phase of this you'd be asking nfl players if they were in hotels and not at home from the start of training camp to potentially the super bowl you'd be asking them to be away for for over five months and i know that some people are going to say okay yeah that's no big deal uh they they can do that they can handle it we i heard people saying that about baseball as well try it sometime right Yeah, no, and I certainly would not advocate for that and and say that it's easy because I I can't, uh, I, well, I was, I was uh, overseas for nearly four months and yeah, that, that, that's tough. So uh, like you said, try it sometime. It really is tough, Mace. Um, And uh, that's not something that I would say the NFL should ask. I'm just thinking, Mm -hmm. is that something that they could get to? Because right now it, to me, it doesn't seem responsible to bring players back before the end of June to get, what, one or two weeks of a mini camp in uh, when it's still not very safe to, to be traveling and there's still so many unknowns and, and tests aren't extremely available right mm. now. That just doesn't seem responsible. But when training camp comes around, if it is uh, smart then, then it will be great to have these guys in hotels, and that's a way to keep them safe at least for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and again, it's it's feasible for training camp. I think again for the season, it's something that might be it might be a bridge too far. But you said you you hit the nail on the head when you said testing. 
and you've mentioned it earlier. One thing that I think there's a positive sign for everybody beyond football is that I don't think the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball would be going forward with their plans if they did not have knowledge from sources very high up in the food chain that there was going to be adequate test, adequate and plentiful testing for the public by the time we got to the late summer. So that yep. I view that as a huge positive. Yep. Yep. I do as well. I view it as a, as a very big positive and the news yesterday for, from the NHL um, it's exciting. It gives you hope that, that not just sports will return, but boy, what a fall and end of summer we could have if, if the NBA follows a similar timeline as the NHL, we could have hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs in the start of the NFL season and heck maybe baseball too. It would be so much fun. So it's exciting. It's exciting. And it not only gives us hope that sports will return, but that the NFL season will go on as planned or at least similar as planned. And it, that's the thing. It's a plan. I like the fact that, now we're starting to see something instead of just speculating and guessing what leagues might do. Now we see a template. Right. And then it's a matter of, of making it, of, of making it happen and actually, uh, and actually executing it. And again, I don't think there's going to be a perfect scenario, but there are ways to, to minim to minimize the risk as much as possible. And, bring some sense of normalcy that back to the culture, something that we all need. I look, I don't want to take the selfish route, but I'm going to here. We need a mace. I, I need some games. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm watching the Bundesliga. Uh, I'll see a little bit of Korean baseball. Bundesliga is more uh, in my schedule as it were when I'm awake. I'd like to KBO. Oh, okay. The Bundesliga. Right, right, right. right. Um, I'm probably going to watch some rugby when it comes on here later this week. Some, some NRL rugby from down in Australia. I need games. A lot of people <laughs> dug the match this weekend and Hey, good, good for everybody. But it, it, it didn't do it for me, man. Like it didn't do it. I, I need teams playing games. Man, I think I think we can all get behind you on that one. So, Mace, be selfish and let's bring that to us. And, guys, there will not be a cooler app to have than the DraftKings Sportsbook app once all of these things start coming together at the end of summer. But there's no reason to wait because anything you want to bet on, DraftKings Sportsbook has it right now. From, like you said, Bundesliga to the KBO, any UFC fights that are going on. I just saw that they, they scheduled a few more in Las Vegas for this next coming month. DraftKings Sportsbook has it. And get into those props. We've been hitting with you some, uh, some future prop bets. You can get in on those right now, including our very own DNVR Denver prop bets on there. So make sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook. It is going to be the app to have of 2020. So get in right now so you can check it out and be comfortable once these sports really start ramping up. And the awesome thing about it, my favorite thing about it, is this isn't some offshore operation like other gambling sites. This is a legitimate sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is legitimate, based in the U.S., so you can be confident that your funds 
are secured. So make sure to check them out. And DraftKings Sportsbook is offering a special promotion if all of that wasn't enough. Just place $20 in bets on the big event and you'll receive a free $20 live bet. So bet 20, get 20. So download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget, enter the code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus, deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And if you do well at DraftKings, don't you want to celebrate? <laughs> don't you want to celebrate with some beer? Celebrate Absolutely. with some Breck Brews, the official beer of DNVR, Breckenridge Brewery. Of course, supporting our partners is supporting us at DNVR during this crazy time. And if you're in the Denver area, you know about the farmhouse restaurant down at their Littleton Brewery. They need your help to help keep the restaurant kicking during this time. So if you order your meal and beer from the farmhouse, make sure you use the code DNVR and get $5 off your meal. You can... Pick it up, pick up the food and delivery at the farmhouse in Littleton off Santa Fe, 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickup. Hey, get some of that cast iron bread or that green chili pepper jack cornbread. Mm -mm -mm, those are real good. And, of course, they'll bring your order out to your car for you. But if you're not in the Denver area or you just are in Denver area and you want some beer, Make sure you take it, you check out the 15 can Breck Brew Sampler. You can order that through Drizzly. Just get the app, go from there. You can use Drizzly a lot of places in the United States. But if you want to go to your liquor store and get some Breck Brews wherever you are in the country, go to the Breck Brew website, find the Breck Beer Locator, and they'll tell you where to find that Avalanche beer at Strawberry Sky, Hop Peak, Colorado Core, and the Vanilla Porter Jr. that we speak so often of. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Make sure you support them. And Mace, it reminds me, the DNVR bar is opening back mm. up today. This afternoon at 4 p.m. it will open again. It'll be open from Wednesday to Sunday from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m., at least during this initial phase of opening. We're going to have all the safety protocols that you need. Of course, social distancing, limiting the capacity of the restaurant, um, but limited people touching and handling your food. In fact, sometimes even only one, the cook will make it and then bring it out to you. Uh, so it's going to be as safe as possible. And that will be opening up for anyone that wants to venture out and go into restaurants and support local business. That is one. The DNVR bar will be open up today. So if you're comfortable going out, we would certainly love to see the support and see you guys. But I understand if you still want to give it a little bit. Yeah, understand completely, but at the same time, we're going to adhere to all, all social distancing rules, 50% capacity, of course, and uh, limiting how many people can sit at a table. For example, if you've got a, a four-person table, we're going to have two people sitting there. So it's just how we're going to operate right now, make sure we're in compliance, and make sure it's a safe environment because, like we talked about, we're looking at games starting up here. We're still going to want to be a place where people can gather. Of course, we all gather virtually here on the podcast, in the DNVR lounge, at the DNVR.com. But we want to have that physical manifestation of it as well 
So we're going to, we're going to do everything that we can to keep it safe. And uh, hopefully the NHL will start as early as they're targeting and we get in the late July. Maybe we're in, we're having some watch parties at the DMVR bar, man, that, Mm, how smile sweet, on our faces how sweet would that be yeah I, I just i be. get i'm not just smiling zach i've got goosebumps uh, i yes. can't see him because i'm wearing my brave shack but i got goosebumps thinking about watch parties man at the dmvr Bronco, bar broncos watch parties it'll be a freaking blast mace today's a big day too we got launch day with nasa there'll be uh launching into space for the first time in nearly a decade in just a couple of hours. And of course, I was reminded of that by our first comment coming in from Horace Clock Lock. He says, NASA spent millions to develop the ballpoint pen to write in space. Russia took a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know anything about this. So I looked it up and that is a myth from what I've read. But Mace, there's a whole Wikipedia page on writing utensils in space. I couldn't believe it. There was a whole Seinfeld episode about it. <laughs> of course you would know about it in Seinfeld terms. Yes, the, the astronaut pen, so you could write upside down, and it becomes, the, it becomes the trigger for a dispute between Jerry's dad, Morty Seinfeld, and Jack Klompas. <laughs> <laughs> take the pen no I'm positive do me a favor take the pen okay okay i'll take the pen ah and then he leaves why should take the pen <laughs> mace do you know every word of every seinfeld episode no i don't close but that's that's one of my favorite ones because it's the first episode of seinfeld that they did in, that was set in florida and i was in high school and the neighborhood in which I lived, it was a mix of young families with kids but people who'd, and people who'd retired and okay. come from up north, from New York, from Boston, from Washington, D.C. My next-door neighbor was a retired doctor from D.C., and he was a big sports fan, so sometimes I'd go to, I'd go to games with him, and, and, have a good, and, and we had a lot of fun. So, That's awesome. The thing is... When they go in, they, they start, they go into Morty and Helen Seinfeld's condo at the Pines of Mar Gables phase two. And the decor, it's all pastels. It's all very light and creamy and all that. This is exactly how people that retired to Florida would decorate their houses. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is my neighbor's house. And the petty disputes over, over things. There, were peop- there was this one person in our neighborhood who'd retired, he'd come down from New York, I believe, and he had his electric scooter that he would ride around the neighborhood on, and he would point out, like, any, any flaw that ran afoul of the, of the neighborhood deed restrictions. Oh, my gosh. And would, like, for example, he thought that we couldn't have a basket in front of our house, like, oh, you're going to take that down, we're not going to have that here, and then oh my someone had to tell him, look, this was this you're retiring here and we're glad to have you, but this is not a retirement community. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to have baskets and swing sets. Wow. He and like soccer a, goals and all like a joy. Yes. But when I saw that episode and how all the older people in that 
interacted. That's what actually what made me a Seinfeld fan because wow. I recognized all of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is really what it's like. <laughs> this, this is comedy and it's a little bit of exaggeration, but this is really what these people are like. Wow, this is, this is now quite a day. Now we just found out how Mace fell in love with Seinfeld. Wow, big day here on the Broncos podcast. But what's interesting is in that episode, you don't have Kramer and you don't have George. Mm. And after that, I believe both of them went to Larry David, the, basically the, the genius behind it and also behind Curb Your Enthusiasm, and told him, if you do another episode without us, you're going to be doing all the episodes without us. <laughs> wow. Wow. How so whenever they went back to Florida, there was always a subplot going on back in New York with the other right. characters on future episodes. They didn't do an entire episode in Florida the way they did the pen. <laughs> take the pen. <laughs> do me a favor. Positive. Take the pen. <laughs> Next one coming in from Mark IT Snatch. Hey guys, with Pat Shermer's running back history, I was wondering while he does prefer to feature one back and use a fresh set of keys to give that guy a reset or a reset has he ever been in a position where he has two guys who can A, be bell cows, B, pro bowlers, and C, can ride a hot-handed approach to spread the wealth? Is, he, is his bell cow approach more of a purpose or a necessity? Well, let's take a look at the 2017 Minnesota Vikings. And this is a very instructive example because, of course, they had Dalvin Cook, second-round pick, as a rookie. Dalvin Cook comes out of the blocks, and he's roaring. He is carrying that Viking offense early. He's averaging nearly five yards a carry. He had 22 carries in the season opener, 12 in week two when they lost the Steelers by 17. So they were having to pass more, come from behind. Then in week three, they play Tampa Bay, 27 carries. 32 total touches because Cook had five receptions in that game. And before he got hurt against Detroit in week four, he had 13 carries and one catch. So he started off that season wanting to have the bell cow like he did with Saquon Barkley in 2018, 2019. And of course, Melvin Gordon, he's getting bell cow money. But Dalvin Cook, then he injures ACL. And at that point, you saw more Jarek McKinnon, more Latavius Murray. There was a hot hand element to what they were doing. McKinnon had more action as a pass catcher. Latavius Murray had 66 more rushes than McKinnon did in the ground game. So it's a function of what he has. Now, the question is, does he regard Melvin Gordon as the bell cow right now? Or is he looking at Gordon and Lindsay in the same way that he looked at Murray and McKinnon once Dalvin Cook went down. Now, that was his backup plan, but they split the reps. They had a lot of balance, and it worked for the Vikings. Didn't really work in terms of yards per carry because neither of them averaged more than four yards a carry, but Jarek McKinnon caught 51 balls, averaged 8.3 yards per catch. So while the preference is to go with the bell cow if he's got it, it does become a question of how does he view Melvin Gordon? He is getting bell cow money, but does he also look at the fact that he's got Philip Lindsay and say, 
maybe this looks more like my a better version of my Murray McKinnon pairing than a bell cow. So watch for that because he does like bell cow backs. He has shown that, but he's also shown he can make it work with two backs. And now he has two, he has the potential for a two back set that is much more productive than he had in Minnesota once cook was injured. Yeah, absolutely. Mason, that's exactly the year I was going to point to to show that he does work with what he has. And of course the past couple of years he had Saquon Barkley. So of course he's only going to run with a bell cow there. You're not taking Saquon off the field. So uh, he has proven that if he needs to, he will use two running backs and really ride the hot hand. So I would expect that at least being the plan going in with, of course, as you and I believe Mace Melvin Gordon being the, the clear one, at least in his mind in, in the Broncos mind for this year. Yep. Lone star Bronc chiming in hey guys i've really enjoyed listening to the best broncos podcast for the last five or for the last year after i first discovered you the podcast led me to the website and i think the content there is worth every penny too well thank you so much i want to clarify my subscriber name since i know there is a lone star bronco with the o who also comments i've used lone star bronc for years as my mile high report handle and just want to keep using it here didn't know there was going to be someone with almost the exact same name. That's incredible. Now we have a Lone Star Bronco and a Lone Star Bronc. I love it. He says, now to my question, which is about the busting at the seams tight end room. Why on earth do you think they need all those guys? Vanette surely is a replacement for Hireman, same skill set. So why are they keeping Hireman and his salary? But, but hasn't been able to stay on the field to save his life. So is there really any chance he could make the team now, even if he can stay healthy this year? Then they go and draft another tight end in the third round. Could it be they're just so snake bit at the position that they figure they need seven going into tra- training camp just to be able to have three or four healthy ones once the season starts? Surely Fant, uh, Alberto, Vanette, and Beck as the tight end fullback hybrid are locks. Is there any chance for the others to make the team barring injuries? I'd say a slim chance for the others to make the team unless they're injuries. Let's start with Hireman, why you keep him. He's been a starter in the league. He's not spectacular, but steady, dependable. That's the sort of player who has value in training camp and the preseason if another team loses a tight end yep. for the season. Yep. So and, and touch yeah. wood, or if you lose a, a yes. training camp, yeah, a, a Vanette, uh, an Alberto. Yeah, one of those guys goes down. Jeff Hireman is there. He's a good insurance policy to have. And if you don't need him, if you are staying healthy, someone else loses a tight end, you can trade him for probably a fifth or sixth round choice, and then you move on from there. <sighs> when Mace, really quick, with Hireman, his mm-hmm. contract doesn't become guaranteed until the season, right? I believe so, yeah. I believe so, too. So you, there's really – All the guarantee – most of the guarantees were last year. So, yep. you're, so you could save $4 million yeah. by cutting him before roster day. Right. And I think if they do need some cap space, it's an option to cut him. But until you need it, yeah. you might as well just keep him there. Jake Butt, if he works out – that's just a nice bonus, a good problem to have. And there's no reason it, to cut him now. Right. He doesn't have value until he shows that he's healthy. Yeah. So why cut him? You, you couldn't trade him. No. Just hang on to him, see where he goes. You've got Jake Butt and Austin Fort, both of whom have injury concerns. 
Keep your eyes on them, although Austin Fort, you might be able to sneak onto the practice squad and be okay. That's not going to be an option with Jake Butt. Of course, now we have to mention Troy Fumagalli, who is the forgotten man yeah. in that room. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he flashed, I believe, at like the very first OTA practice last year. And then that was about it. I thought, I thought the Broncos had something uh, after he missed his rookie year. I thought they had something when he flashed at the beginning. And, yeah, like you said, there's a, re- there's a reason he's a forgotten man. Well, he had that touchdown cash against Minnesota. The thing that disappointed me last year was as a blocker, he was not as authoritative and effective as he was when he blocked at Wisconsin. So yeah. I have been – I've been disappointed, admittedly. I had higher expectations for uh, Troy Fumagalli when he came in. I I like the risk-reward ratio because he did have the injury concerns and he did slide in a day three and uh, just hasn't panned out. So that's unfortunate, but so it goes. And he's from Wisconsin. (laughs) So, of course, you like him. Now, if I were Troy Fumagalli, I'd be trying to learn fullback, even though there's not a heck of a lot you can do right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because trying to beat out Andrew Beck for that hybrid spot might be the only shot he has. It's, it's really too true. So Lone Star, Bronc, good question. But the, the real reason is why they have all these guys is because there's just no rush in, in getting rid of them. Yep. Story sauce. Hey, guys, I thought Mace would get this, but he missed a ring of fame or served in the Navy. He was the leading scorer in the AFL's inaugural season and continues to be involved in the Broncos Alumni Association, Gene Mingo. Yep, forgot about Gene. He didn't even go to college. So oh, wow. on the roster, no college because he went in the Navy and then started his pro football career after he was discharged. Oh, that's incredible. And the interesting thing, he was working at a Goodyear plant in Akron, Ohio, his hometown. And he wrote a letter to the Broncos and explained his situation, his resume, and they signed him to a contract. Holy cow. That's incredible. Could you imagine that happening nowadays? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> no way. No, no. But it, it was a different time and it was a startup league. And Gene right. Bingo was an exceptionally valuable player because of his versatility. Yeah. Could catch passes, was a running back, could handle kick returns. He was a place kicker. He is it's cool that he's in the ring of fame because he is the most unclassifiable player in Broncos history. Truly a jack of all trades. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. Next one coming in from Johnny G. Gents, I've been chatting up or I've been catching up this pod this week, and I like the shake up on Monday and the return to familiarity on Tuesday. Boy, was it fun to watch Tom Brady's fall from grace on Sunday and Peyton shine on that course. And then Johnny G left a golf question for Ryan. So, Johnny, why don't you just leave that for a pod later this week and we'll have Ryan get to that. He says, "Keep thanks for keeping us sane during these days, and I hope yours, uh, you and yours are staying safe and healthy, Johnny G. Thank you, Johnny G. You as well, my friend. Appreciate Johnny G. And you know what? I hope our opening topic talking about the ideas of actual games. I hope that helps keep you and everybody saying that now we can start pointing to a plan for actual sporting events, actual team sports. Once again, TK freeze, my guys, I should have let you do that. Zach. I'm sorry, <laughs> please. 
My boys. There you go. All right, I got one for y'all today. If you had to put down some money and make a bet, which scenario is most likely? Simmons and Jackson both have four-plus interceptions. Chubb and Vaughn both have 10-plus sacks. Sutton and Judy both go for 1,000-plus receiving yards. Lindsey and Gordon both go for 1,000-plus rushing yards. Also, out of these duos, which should be the most excited for and which should be the best next year? As always, you guys are the best. Thanks, man. Man, I mean, this just makes me open my eyes again to just the great duos the Broncos have. Those are all exceptional mm-hmm. duos, but Mace, to me, one of these really stands out as being the clear favorite in my mind, mm-hmm. and that's Chubb and Vaughn both having 10 sacks. I think that one is, is way more likely than any of the other three. I think it's not only way more likely, it is – likely period as long as both are healthy i expect the two of them working together both have double digit sacks now you get into 2021 and 2022 i think that best duo is going to be Cortland sutton and jerry judy yeah i think i completely completely agree with you and it would be a disappointment in my eyes actually it'd be a pretty massive disappointment in my eyes if vaughn and chubb both don't have 10 or more sacks any of the other ones it's not a disappointment at all. Jerry, Judy, and Cortland Sutton don't each need 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, Lindsey and Melvin Gordon don't each need 1,000 yards rushing. And, Je- and Simmons and Kareem both don't need four more interceptions. That, that if, those don't, if those don't hit, that's not a disappointment. But if Vaughn and Chubb don't have 10 sacks each, that is a massive disappointment in my eyes. Agree. Dan Burke, considering that Mike Munchak and Vic Fangio, as well as that Donatel, have track records of developing undrafted free agents, and late-round offensive linemen and defensive backs, respectively. Is it far-fetched to think that guys like Calvin Anderson, Shaquille Taylor, and Trey Marshall could have an impact on the team this year? I think most people point to offensive tackle, corner, and safety as the three biggest needs on the team, but how would you all feel if those three guys all contributed in some way this year, and is it realistic in the first place? (laughs) Well, I either feel great about it because they just got gems out of nothing, or I feel awful about it because UDFAs are like forced to play due to touchwood injuries or just the guys ahead of them are that bad. Uh, but Dan, I think that's a fantastic point that you bring up with Mike, Vic, and Ed and being able to develop UDFAs. I mean, specifically Mike Munchak, his ability to develop uh, tackles who are great, who, uh, you know, former first round picks that, you know, didn't initially look that good or UDFAs, but then you also have Vic. Look at Bryce Callahan, a UDFA undersized guy uh, coming in from Rice, and and Vic turns him into a guy that's getting $21 million over three years. Um, So I do think it's very possible that that some of those three that you mentioned will get a shot to play this year. Well, let's just take the cornerback position and who the Broncos have in terms of young corners. Of course, Shaquille Taylor, who you mentioned. You've, you've got Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris, who played extensively last year. They drafted Michael Ojemudia, Isaac Yadam coming back. They signed Isang Bassi as a free agent. I like the chances of one of those guys, of, of one or two of those guys developing into something. And that's, that's what you're, you're basically saying. Let's even take Ojemudia out of it because he's a third-round pick and you, you expect him to develop. And he's a third-round pick at Vic Fangio, so you expect him to be a good scheme fit. Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris, Shaquille Taylor, Isaac Yadam, Isang Bassey. Fair to expect two of those five 
to grow into something meaningful? Yeah, I think 40%. so. 40%. That's yeah. all you're talking about. You're talking about a 40% success rate. Yep. And that's why you, you bring in guys that you like. You like their skill sets. You like their makeup. And then you see which ones end up blossoming and which ones don't. Well, and on top of this, like you said, Mace, especially with the cornerback position, that is wide open. We know if healthy, we know who the top two are. I, I'm giving the edge um, to the third one for Michael Ojemudia. And in fact, we're going to have a round table on this coming up in the next week where we, where we pick who the third and fourth cornerback will be. But I mean, outside of the top two, it is wide open. So absolutely, I can see uh, Taylor coming, up, coming out of nowhere and taking that job. And at the tackle position, we know it's wide open. There's a wide open competition between Elijah Wilkinson and Garrett Bowles. What if Calvin Anderson balls out in training camp? There's no reason he shouldn't get an opportunity because we already know that the job's a competition. And at right tackle, touch wood. What if Juwan James misses some time? Or it takes him a while to be able to fully play. So Calvin Anderson has to fill in for him at right tackle during training camp at times. And what if he's balling out? Then you just throw him into the left tackle competition right away. Yeah, then it, it could work out. Now, Calvin Anderson, and we have another question specifically about Calvin Anderson here coming up. <laughs> and let's, should yeah. we just get to it let's, right now? Let's from, get to it right. Yeah, let's, let's go Joe, read that one. Joe and Aurora. Hey, gents, Calvin Anderson, what's his deal? He's posted cryptic messages on his Instagram over the last few months, almost as if he's insinuating he will have a chance to play and compete for the left tackle spot. What do you think? What have you seen and liked in your time around him? What have you seen and disliked? Thank guys. Thanks, guys. See you at the DNVR bar soon. Okay, so we can't really point to anything on the field that we've liked because he didn't play last year for the Broncos, and all we saw were opening periods of practice. You can't really get much from that. So if you go back to his college form, first of all, one thing I like, and it's apparent when you talk to him, He's highly intelligent. Look up Calvin Anderson Rubik's Cube. <laughs> yeah. But he, that, that's just a manifestation of his intelligence. Very smart, very well-read. Went to Rice before transferring to Texas. This is somebody who could do anything he wants in this world, and he's choosing to play, to play football. He got better as he went on. On struggled in pass pro early at Rice, improved greatly his last couple of years. I like what he does when he can get to the second level. The one thing that I have a concern, two things I have a concern about. Number one, size. He does need to bulk up. He came into the draft process last year, 292 pounds. So hopefully he's been using he's been using his time wisely in the weight room this offseason because you want to get him up to about 305 310 the other thing is sometimes when i watched him particularly in that year at texas a little bit stiff at times can he be more flexible can he be a little bit more agile nimble lithe call it what you will if he can do and and do that while adding some bulk if he can make that happen he's got a shot the, the one one thing that you can say, how many times have we talked about Garrett Bowles and how he maybe doesn't have the same ability to process information as some other people, yep. as some other players? Yep. Calvin Anderson is kind of the exact opposite. Calvin Anderson, you, you, he's basically got uh, ischemic photographic memory. Yep. You tell him something and it sticks. And that's what I want to pair with Mike Munchak. I want that type of guy. And the Broncos like him enough where – 
They picked him up last year, and he's sticking around this year as well. And he has been posting cryptic things, and he's a smart guy. So maybe he's uh, giving us a little insight into what he's hearing. Absolutely. So you know what? He's a dark horse. Yes, he is. He is. And, it, man, that would be something else. And when we get back to talking to these guys, that is a guy I'm very interested in talking to. He's a fast – yeah, because yeah, Zach, you're you're usually the press conference guy. I'm the locker room guy. Yeah. When we're over at uh, Dove Valley, so I think my role is going to change because I don't think we're going to be in that locker room for a long time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely <laughs> uh, right I'm, on that. I'm not happy about that, but it's the world we live in. We have to accept it. <sighs> but yeah, he's he's very bright. I, I'm looking forward to talking to him again. Butch Cassidy. First things first. I bet whoever said Wolf was the booker of the defense does not have the big, smooth, manscaped balls to say that to his face. <laughs> That's terribly disrespectful. I'm not even going to say the person's name on here. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a bad take. I'm not going to say his name and, and, and give it the oxygen. And save him. Yes. Now, in a way too early prediction, what's the very first offensive play called against the Titans in week one? Oh, boy. I certainly hope it's not an end around to a tight end. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say they let Drew sling it. They're going to go oh, deep. I'm going to say it's a inside zone handoff to Melvin Gordon. That would work. Melvin would certainly like that, wouldn't he? That'd be a great way for him to start off his career as a Bronco. Mm -hmm. And you know what else is a great way to start off your time is following the Colorado Raptors. They're Colorado's professional rugby team. And we got our reporter, Colton Strickler, taking you inside the game, taking you inside the team to teach you the game itself and also teach you about the Colorado Raptors and what's going on with them. So you can follow them on Twitter at DNVR Raptors. You can follow them, uh, follow their podcast, the DNVR Raptors podcast. You can follow Colton Strickler on Twitter. And of course, at the DNVR.com, we've got our Raptors coverage. Guys, Colton breaks down the game with 101 pods to teach you about the game. So make sure to check out the Colorado Raptors coverage on DNVR. You've watched the Raptors. You've gotten to know them. You've maybe been a part of one of our DNVR watches for the Raptors over weekends. What do you do after that? You get out your phone, you get out your iPad, you play a little WGT golf. Not only the most popular golf game in the world, it's the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download WGT and join the DNVR clubhouse by going to, to dnvrgolf.com. WGT golf is played by more than 20 million players around the world. Because you do it on your device, you can play it pretty much anywhere you want to talk about most memorable recent courses matches or shots played by one of the hosts and there are so many ways to play of course it's affiliated with top golf so you can play just like you play over at top golf boy i can't wait for them to be open again but also you can play full stroke play on courses like pebble beach beth page black st andrews my personal favorites the ocean course at kiwa island which is going to host the pga championship next year so I go to Kiowa every year. I'm missing it in June, but you know what? I'm still going to get a taste of that by being able to play the ocean course on WGT. 
play on any of your devices. I love to play on my iPad because I get I have the iPad Pro and I get that nice big screen so I can really immerse myself in the game. And if you want to get better at your game on WGT, you can upgrade your equipment. They've got Titleist, Callaway, Ping, Taylor, Made, and more. So you can really take it and make it like a true real golf experience. All that you're missing is the actual golf cart getting in and out and the fresh air. But you know what? If you want fresh air, go outside with your device and play WGT golf. And make sure you go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT golf today. Oh, man, I can't wait to go outside later today and play some WGT golf. Sir James Radio checking in. Day 32. This will be the final one of the Jersey Challenge. Guys, we did it. Today, we close it out with the New Orleans Saints. I'm going with Alvin Kamara. I said Kamara was my favorite back leading up to the 2017 draft. I thought he'd be the best of that bunch, and it's nice to feel vindicated, as I believe he had been the most consistently great and healthy of the bunch. Wow, Sir James Radio, you and I felt a very similar way about Kamara out of that draft. Yeah. You know what? I know it's not Jameis Winston. Sorry, can't do it. I think for a lot of Broncos fans, it would be obvious. If you like Emmanuel Sanders, that's going to be your choice. Yep. And Emmanuel Sanders. So do you like Emmanuel Sanders? Are you get. By the way, he's going, to wear, he's going to wear 17 as oh. a saint. Oh. All right. Me, I'm going to – this is a little bit of an obscure choice, but a player that I really liked coming out, and I liked him at, in college as well, out of South Florida, Dietrich Nichols, a cornerback. He's small, feisty, tough. He's trying to make the Saints roster. I'm pulling like hell for him, and hopefully he's going to make it. But right now, Dietrich Nichols is my choice. The other choice that I may consider is Anthony Ciccolo, a linebacker for the Saints, number 46. I covered his dad. Oh, wow. Playing That's arena football cool. back in the 1990s. See, this is a sign that I'm getting old. I, I'm starting to see players w- whose fathers I covered. That's something else. That is oh, pretty cool. I can't man. wait to do, do that in 20 years, hopefully. Hopefully I can stay in this biz that long. Man, that's awesome. Chickalo. Um, Mace, I think just to troll you, I got to go with Jameis Winston, right? He's going to be uh, he's going to be the Saints quarterback for years and years and years to come, right? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going Jameis. I'm going Drew Brees. Um, <laughs> if no one's taking that, I'll just take the easy one right there. But Kamara's a great one, Sir James Radio. Hey, Sir James Radio, that was a fun thing to do. Thank you for taking us around the NFL with the Jersey Challenge. Yep, and now let's take another challenge. Mm. This, ooh, this one comes from Chilango Bronco. Oh, we'll get to the other challenge in a little bit. Sorry, I was one comment off. <laughs> Chilango Bronco, hey guys, I've been watching highlights of Natani Muti. Muti! And I know they are highlights, but he looks impressive. If healthy, he looks like a dominant force. My question for you is this. What do you think his role will be in a couple of years? Imagine that you have Rosner, Cushenberry, and Glasgow as locks. Do you keep Moody as an interior O-line rotational guy, or do you try him at tackle, or do you move Reisner or Glasgow to tackle? I know RK's answer, I'm moving Reisner to tackle, but to me, it seems that if he is healthy, he can be a good starting O-line player and be a waste on the bench. Much love. Yeah, I think you do try Reisner at tackle. If Moody proves that he can be the guy uh, and stay healthy and develop into the guard that you believe, and if you believe that Reisner can be, a, can be a solid, good left tackle, which I think the Broncos do believe that, then you do it, but you don't make the switch right now. 
uh, you wait a year to do that, in my opinion, if I was doing it. I think right now, once Mooty gets healthy, I start cross-training him at guard and right tackle. Mm, and why him at tackle? Just to start from zero with him, I thought he showed some good work in the brief flashes that he played tackle at Fresno State. And again, you're a year down the road with Dalton Rosner. You're starting fresh with Natani Muti. And I kind of like the notion of keeping that interior core together, of building, building an inside-out offensive line. Yeah, man, so, and, and I'd be okay with that, absolutely. And boy, if you can find – if Muti can develop – either into uh, your starting tackle or a starting guard. What an excellent pick. It's just about getting him healthy. That's why I'm not doing anything with him this year. This year is about getting healthy. All right. The other Ryan. My boys. There we go. It was great to have Mason Zach back in the saddle yesterday. It's great to hear from you too, other Ryan. Here are the answers to yesterday's trivia questions, asking which players to make a Broncos regular season roster served in the military and in which branch. Mike Anderson, running back, Marines. Ben Garland, guard, Air Force. Gene Mingo, multifaceted player. Navy, Joe Rizzo, linebacker, Marines. Steve Russ, linebacker, Air Force. Ooh, Rizzo. Yeah, I, I forgot about the old school guys. I had everybody from like 1990 on, but uh, missed out on Joe Rizzo, part of the Orange Crush back in the 70s. And we talked about Mingo earlier. Other Ryan continues. The talk about Peyton Manning got me thinking about the 539 touchdown passes he threw in his career, including the 140 with the Broncos. Which two jersey numbers by far caught the most touchdown passes from Manning during his career? Which jersey numbers were third, fourth, and fifth? As always, thanks for the best Broncos coverage around, coupled with fun humor. The end of the Army, salute. Uh, great question, the other Ryan. I'll take a stab first and go with uh, Demarius Thomas as number one. Well, 88, because so Marvin 88. Harrison also wore 88. Oh, we're including – That's uh, what we're talking Bull. about here, Yeah, yeah. I believe. so. Oh, yep, during his career. Yep, without a doubt then, 88. So the two top ones are obvious. Yep. 88, Marvin Harrison and Demarius Thomas. 87, Reggie Wayne. And, of course, Eric Decker. Yep, yep. And then it gets interesting. Hmm. <sighs> okay. I'm going to guess that number three is 44 okay. because that was Dallas Clark's number. How many did he have? Oh, gosh. He had – I want to say he had uh, 20 to 30 touchdown passes from, from Peyton Manning over, over his career. Then I'm now, going it, to th- – well, Remember, it, another- it's a huge drop. It's a huge drop. Drop right. from two to three. Right. right. And I'm going to go with another tight end number. I'm going to go with 80. Okay. Julius Thomas. That was one I was going to get to in a little bit. Okay. Because the three that I'm guessing are 44, 14, Brandon Stokely. Yep. And 80, and uh, either 81 or 80. Because you're going to get I'm I'm going to guess 81. Okay. And you're going to guess 80, right? Yep, yep. And I'm also going to go with Stokely and Dallas Clark. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to guess uh I'm going to guess uh, Marcus Pollard. Okay. Okay. I like that. Man, that's another tough question the other Ryan. Great to, great to pull those out of nowhere. I love it. Yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, 
I'm get, I made my guess, but I think, Zach, you're going to be correct on this. <laughs> wow. If I could beat Mace in yeah. one fan, it's Aaron, one uh, question, I'd be impressed. All right. LDJ, love the pod yesterday. Got me thinking. Which trio will be more dominant on the Broncos in the next three years? Cortland, Judy Hamler, or Chubb, Vaughn, and Casey? Hmm. Ooh. Hmm. You know what? I mean, LDJ. I, great yeah, question. I think this year it's – yeah, it's a great question. I think this year it's Chubb, Vaughn, and, and Jarrell Casey. Yep. I think after that it's going to be Cortland, Judy, and Keisha Hamler. I think so too because Casey is over 30 years old. Of course, so is Vaughn. So you imagine they fall off a little bit. Yep. Anyway, moving on. My second question, as I try to be fair, as fair as I can, not be the ultimate homer when it comes to the Broncos, but bias aside, who is the best safety duo in the NFL other than, than Simmons and Kareem Jackson? I was told Jamar, Jamal Adams in May and Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith. Do you think either of those duos are better than Simmons and Kareem? Because I just don't see it in the stats or film, especially Harrison Smith having a really down year last year. Yeah, and Harris, uh, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris did have a down year. Uh, so, no, I'm going to go with Simmons and Kareem this year. I, I, I am. I think the interesting thing to consider is that, obviously, Vic Fangio gets the most out of his safeties, and we saw that in Chicago as well with the way safeties developed. Adrian Amos and um, – you know, Adrian Amos was there, of course, for, for a while. And – would Marcus May and Jamal Adams be better with Vic Fangio than Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons? It's mm, a good question. Adrian Amos, Eddie Jackson. Eddie, Adrian Amos, Eddie Jackson in Chicago, of course. Right, right. Um, you do, man, because Vic is so good getting better play out of his safeties. Jamal Adams is a beast. Yeah. He's a monster, and he could be available soon. That is not working out with him and the Jets. Yeah. The other thing – See, the Broncos have good balance at safety with two guys who play at a very high level. Right. But the Chargers, mm. they have Derwin James and Rayshon Jenkins. Now, with all respect to Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, Derwin James is, for me, the best safety in football right now. Without a doubt. And I know somebody who really loves Derwin James and that's Steve Atwater. He's a big fan of Derwin James, too. I remember when we were talking about him in the draft. We both just were gaga over him <laughs> back in 2018. But because you don't really have the same kind of balance between the two, I'm not saying the Chargers have the best tandem, even though Derwin James is a rising tide that lifts all boats. Yeah. I'm still going with the Broncos tandem rather than Derwin James plus Rayshon Jenkins yeah, and or that's Desmond it. King or whoever it ends up being. Yeah, do you want star power in terms of one guy that carries a group or do you want balance? And I was just going with balance, but, man, right. if I could trade them, and, man, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson are great, but if you can get the young Derwin James, I, I do think you trade the second – or you trade the safety groups. All right, we actually got one comment in under the wire, too, from Mets Bronco 50. Hey, fellas. Just read an article that Denver's defense as the 18th best. Don't have anything else to say, so I'll let you guys laugh with me. <laughs> well, this is a perfect way to end a We Get Mad Where Wednesday, is this Mace. article? I've <laughs> got to find this. I mean, I don't know I'm how Googling. I am Googling like mad right now. You have a top five pick in Bradley Chubb. 
who should be fully healthy this year. You have a Hall of Fame Super Bowl MVP on the other side of him. You have a five-time Pro Bowler rushing the passer on the inside. You have a Pro Bowl cornerback. You have a Pro Bowl uh, safety, an all-pro safety. How, how is that not okay. at, at least top 10, but it's top five? I found the article. It's from Doug Farrar uh, on Doug. Touchdown Wire out of USA Today. Doug does a lot of good work. But this is, but this is just wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> but here's what's interesting. He's got Seattle, which isn't what it used to be, but still is a pretty effective defense, 22nd. Wow. The Bronco, by the way, if you're going through, let's, let's just go through the defenses here that he's got. Number one, New England. Two, San Francisco. Three, Pittsburgh. Four, Baltimore. Five, Buffalo. Okay, I don't have any objections there. If the Broncos are behind those five, I can see that. Sure. Tampa Bay, number six. Wow. They played better down the stretch. Yeah. But to say that the Bucks have the sixth best D. Yeah. Yeah, I know they, they've, got, they've got talent. But I don't think they're up to sixth just yet. I think they've got a ways to go. And certainly, you look at what the Broncos have coming back with a healthy Bradley Chubb, Jarrell Casey coming in. I can't put the Bucks ahead of the, Bron- the Broncos. The Bears at seven, that was still a very good defense last year without Vic Fangio. He left behind a lot of tools. Yep. The Rams at number eight. Mm. With Brandon Staley, who is coordinating the defense after leaving the Broncos. <laughs> yep. Yep. And what's interesting is that the, the Doug Farrar, what he writes about the Rams is that you've got Aaron. Yes, Aaron Donald's still the best defensive player in the game. And yes, Jalen Ramsey can be a top-flight cornerback. But pass rush, safety depth, and the cornerback group after Ramsey are question marks at this point. <laughs> this is who you're ranking eighth? Mace, I was just going to say that is going by the star method. He said there's two stars on that team, so I can't put them any lower. Instead of looking at a well-balanced team. Okay, so then you got Minnesota 9, New Orleans 10, Atlanta 11. This is actually sort of the, sle- the, the, the sneaky good defense because they played very well in the second half of the season when the Falcons turned their season around. Give credit to Dan Quinn for putting Raheem Morris in charge of that defense because that changed everything for him, and it probably saved Dan Quinn's job. Philadelphia, number 12. By the way, he's got the Chiefs having a better D than the Broncos. Oh, boy. The Chiefs, 13. Yikes. The Chargers, 15. Now the, Wow, that, both, they're really far back. Whoa. I both disagree the, both, with that. Big yeah. Time. I see the Chargers and Broncos both as top 10 defenses. Without a doubt. Easy. Wow. And, and frankly, I could see a scenario where the Broncos are a top five, top six defense, and they're not the best D in the division because the Chargers, yeah. they're pretty stacked at all levels of the D. That, and that D is going to have to carry them as well. Yeah, I understand they have why any kind of, yeah, yeah. If they have any kind of offense, they can surprise yeah. a lot of people. Yep, I agree. But yeah, how do you have the, the Chiefs as the best D in the in the in the division? I, okay, yes, 
they did play better in the second half of the season. We've talked about this. But by playing better, the Chiefs went from horrible to average or a little bit above. Right. Okay, so that you could say, okay, that's fine. They're 13. But a better D than the Chargers? A better D than the Broncos? No, that's criminal. I'm not seeing that. Criminal. Wow. Man. We get mad. This is ridiculous. All right. So let me just read the graph on the Broncos that Doug Farrar wrote. Okay. Denver's no-fly zone ranked first in football, out, football outsiders, total defensive metrics, and past D metrics in 2015 and 2016. But things have fallen off then, since then as personnel attrition has taken a toll. Last season, Denver finished 13th overall, 14th against the pass, 16th against the run. Though some new personnel could build well for the future, specifically Jarrell Casey and A.J. Boye. Justin Simmons is one of the best safeties in the business, and there are some great underrated players on this defense, like linebacker Todd Davis and defensive lineman Shelby Harris. So perhaps this year the Broncos turn their defense around a bit. You write that, <laughs> and you put them 18? Oh, it doesn't boy. add up. I mean, he's saying because they haven't been top 10 in pass defense that this year they can't be a top 10 defense. Man, he should have just looked at at everything. Like I said, added a Pro Bowl cornerback, added uh, a Pro Bowl lineman, which he acknowledged both of those guys, getting Bradley Chubb back. Oh, yikes. That's that's just – it's like those – when you see – uh, a guy that's ranked in a top five of something and the description about him is all terrible. And you're like, wait, how did he make it in the top five? Or you see a guy that's, you know, that quarterback like Drew Locke ranked like 26th on some list. And uh, uh-huh. the only things that are said about him are good. You're like, this doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? Yeah. And some of these lists, that, these listicles that come out, the people writing them are, you know, they're, they're just trying to put something together to, to fill days. And, hey, we, we, even we know all about having to put something up to fill a day, especially right now. <laughs> all, I mean, I just wrote 2,400 words about Jerry Rice, who didn't even make the Broncos. <laughs> so I get it, okay? I, underst- I, am, I, I am very understanding of the plight that all of us uh, content creators have right now. But to take a look at the Broncos' defense and put them 18th. And also, Doug Farrar, I expect better from him. Yeah. There's, there are some people who write, eh, whatever. But that's someone that I expect some pretty good content from. So, yeah. Doug, Doug, just reminds me of a song from The Hangover. Doug, Doug, Dougie, Doug, Doug. But if he's been murdered by crystal meth tweakers, well, then we're a shoot out of luck. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, man. Of course, that being said, as I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at total yards allowed in the last five games, um, Denver was 20 – well, Denver was 21st in total yards allowed um, in the last four games of the season. What about points allowed? Uh, that's a good point. That's a – Let's take a look, shall we? I care where, way more about points than uh, than yards. Although I know uh, it is based off yards, which I think is baloney. Yeah, yards you over time usually translate to points, but not always. Okay, let's go last five games of the season. Okay, Denver in total yards allowed. So this is the Drew Lock era. Denver in total yards allowed in the last five games of the season ranked twenty first. 
total first downs allowed. Denver ranked 14th. Rushing yards, rushing yards allowed. Denver ranked 15th. Okay. Passing yards, passing yards allowed. Denver ranked 26th. There and there you go. Wow. But points allowed. Here we go. Seventh. Seventh. There we go. Top ten defense right there. <laughs> Way more important. But I think they'll do better in yards this year. And also, you take a look at what the Broncos were dealing with down the stretch. Yes, you had Drew Lockett quarterback on the other side. Remember, they played without Cream Jackson for a couple of games. The defensive line was shredded. Remember all the guys they were bringing in late last year. Yeah. Off the street, just to have some semblance of a D-line. Well, I feel a lot better about that D-line right now going into the season, knowing that you're going to have Jarrell Casey and Shelby Harris flanking Mike Purcell and Draymond Jones taking the next, next step forward. Yep. I I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. This will I, not be the 18th best defense in the NFL. This will be a top 10 defense, mark my words. No, but thanks for getting us fired up, Doug, and ending this Wednesday on a We Get Mad Wednesday. We appreciate that, and we also appreciate Denver Rubber Company, and they're the most reliable local partner for your long-term rubber projects. Denver Rubber Company has been essential. They've been open this entire time. And they're helping all the industries such as medical, military, defense, government, wind energy, food and beverage industries. Guys, if you're in any industry and need any rubber product, make sure to give DRC a call at 1-800-259-0010. That's 1-800-259-0010. Or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. They've been around since 1972, are absolutely the best at what they do, and they can make anything from custom snowplow blades to custom gaskets, custom cut rubber, hose assemblies, and metal parts. So make sure to check out Denver Rubber Company for anything that you need when it comes to your rubber products. All right, well, that'll do it on this Wednesday, this We Get Mad Wednesday. It was a fun one, Mace. Thanks for rolling with me, and thank all of you for rolling with us as well. We can't wait to be back with you tomorrow. For Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Have a great hump day.